You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hello, everyone. I'm Reva Chessis. And I'm TJ Winnick, and this is And Then Some. Our listeners out there might recognize our very special guest today from his comforting and reassuring voice. He's certainly no stranger to the world of audio media, given he currently divides his time reporting for NPR and GBH News. He is the host of GBH's In It Together, but you may have also listened to him in his previous role as the weekend host for NPR's All Things Considered. Past roles include reporter for the PBS series Soundtrack, senior reporter for Frontline in the World, and senior producer for NPR's On the Media, which even earned him a Peabody Award. Over the past few years, I've had the pleasure of working on a few stories with him and can say from experience that he is truly a joy to work with and speak to. All of that said, it is our distinct pleasure to welcome in GBH and NPR host and correspondent Arun Roth. Arun, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be with you. That was so nice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let's jump right into it. This year has really been something else, to say the very least. Uh, And at the onset of the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty. We were all so fixated on the news for crucial information that could come at any time. We're curious, in your opinion, what role did public radio play and does it continue to play during the pandemic? Uh, Well, we've been serving still our vital function, but it's really brought our vital function to, uh, to to the surface, which is providing people with the information that, that, that they, they need, uh, you know, and as direct and unfiltered a way as, as possible. So uh, certainly when we have essentially a national emergency going on, like a pandemic, uh, it, it, it just made us all the more essential to uh, to, to people. Um, I mean, I, I think especially, I, I would say what's really come out, uh, and obviously I have a bias from, from where I'm sitting, but it's been the, the broadcasting public radio at, at the local level that has really had to step up. I mean, the national reporting is as important as ever. And as you know, I've, I've switched back and forth between the two. But uh, we really, you know, on radio, we get into people's homes. We get where, where they live. And it's, I, I would say that the way that people are getting us has probably changed during the pandemic, I think we're getting more listeners online because we don't have the drive time thing that we used to. And that used to be kind of an essential part of the way I would, I would think of our, our daily business would be hosting all things considered and getting people the information they need as they're on their way home and, and that kind of thing. Now we're all living these very unstructured days. So uh, it's, you know, not to say that the news is unstructured, but it, it, it's that uh, it just never stops. Right. So uh, we're, we're providing vital information all the time now. Aruna, aside from the pandemic, 2020 has been a historic year for many reasons, as you uh, more than most are aware of. We've had a historic election. We've witnessed the rise of a powerful social justice movement. I still talk to some of my uh, former colleagues in broadcast journalism, and it has just been, you know, obviously unlike any other. They, they've been, they've just been flat out in terms of running from one story to the next. I, I'm curious what it's been like for you as a, a broadcast journalist during this historic and tumultuous year. Without question, it, it's been the the hardest year ever as, as as a journalist. I mean, it's probably been for everybody, right? The hardest year ever. So I, I want to make it seem like you know sad, poor journalists. But in terms of, of, of our job, uh, 
it, it's just been extraordinarily difficult and, and dealing with things which we have never had to uh, to, to deal with before. Uh, I, I mean, I, I got to be blunt about the, the political climate that we're living in. And, and it's always an awkward thing to talk about because as journalists, uh, we don't want to have a point of view or, or, or sound like we're sounding political or partisan at all. And uh, I work very hard to uh, to do that. But when uh, you're you as an institution are being attacked by the president of the United States, that uh, that changes things a, a little because by simply defending the the, the integrity of, of, of what you're doing, uh, you get political because you get into a, a fight with those who are calling you fake news at that point. And and, and the other thing that you know about all of this is, is happening during the, the the pandemic. Obviously, as as we were just talking about our role as as, as bringing information to people, unbiased, uh, you know, true fact-based information is so much more important than than ever uh when we have a, a you know a, a pandemic going on a communicable disease where information about uh safe practices are, are are essential and then also to have that politicized where uh you know it, it's somehow turned into a, a, a culture war thing where you know my, my colleagues that are going and covering protests say uh you know people will be yelling at them don't talk to them they're fake news uh uh you know attacking my colleagues for for wearing masks uh things like that uh it's it's just been um, nothing that, uh, you know, I, I didn't go to journalism school, but I, I, I do like study the history and ethics of, of my, my my trade. And there's just nothing that could have prepared, I think, any of us for, for, for this. Uh, but I, I would I think the thing that, that probably as, as a journalist and, and, the, and the strange position we in that probably pulls it all together the most is that I never thought I would be in a position. And again, I feel uncomfortable talking about this being a, that is political, but it is the case. And I don't think I'm revealing any bias. It's just the way that I am as I'm a journalist and I want to report the news. I never expected I'd be in a situation where during a live briefing from the president of the United States about the pandemic, about the, the coronavirus pandemic, I would be needing to be in touch with my engineer saying we have to be ready to cut out if he starts saying things that are dangerous in terms of health practices or uh, or goes into a potentially hate-filled rant, which was happening with some of these conferences. And, and we got to, this was not just, you know, at our individual level, at, at, uh, at NPR, it would always be a thing in journalism. If the president is giving an address, you give the president an open microphone. That, that, that That's just what you do. This is a democracy where, where journalists uh, to have to worry about um, potentially dangerous uh, things being broadcast that we would not be able to filter. We're, we're, we're not television. We can't put fact-checking underneath the screen simultaneously at the same time. That would make things a little bit different. But when we have just live audio going out, I mean, that that's just, just an extraordinary thing. Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever, ever quite get over it. Can I ask you about that, Arun? Because it seems like it took journalism writ large a a while to figure out how to combat the untruths that were coming from the White House. And, you know, I think leading up to the election, especially we saw media, both traditional and social, start to flag uh, some of those comments, which they considered lies or even misleading or dangerous to the public because of the pandemic. And I'm just curious when you, your producers, your editors sat around collectively and said, you know, we are now going to start to feel empowered to cut out of this broadcast to provide a little bit more context, because I think that in hindsight, the media is feeling like that's something they should have done as far back as 
the president's rallies when he was running for president initially. So I'm just curious sort of when that that time came when you when you all sat down and said, you know, let's start to tackle this a little bit differently than we have. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a great question and it's really fascinating. I think we're, we're going to look back on, on, on this year and be breaking down this a lot. Uh, you know, one thing I'll say going back a bit a bit farther, um, this would have been uh, I, I, I think a, a year ago this 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 past uh, summer it was the, the week that, you know, I, I've hosted national broadcasts for NPR before. I started hosting the local version of All Things Considered for, for WGBH. Uh, it would have been a year, year ago this past summer. And honestly, during the time that I was not hosting, uh, which was coincided precisely with the first few years of, of the Trump administration, there were times that I was feeling like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm not hosting right now because I don't know quite how I would deal with this. And I don't know if it would be along the lines of what the editors would would like, frankly. The week that I started doing this was actually the the week that, uh, and I, I wasn't like in the room with the editors. I don't know how it was decided, but all of a sudden it was okay to use the word racist and uh, in, in talking about the, the president. This was when he talked about uh, the these. Um, I think it was members of the squad, but but basically a number of, of women of color who were who were in Congress and uh, used the phrase about going back to where they came from. Some, something something along those lines, which is just when you're talking about. American people, you, you kind of can't get more racist or, or, you know, more of an ethnic slur than than that. And uh, that was just a moment where it was all of a sudden, okay, we're all saying racist now. But I, I think getting getting to your point, uh, you know, I, I think this, it, it was really the the, the pandemic that, that that forced the issue because it was then in a situation where we were talking about science and safety and reality, right? So, and, and it's also a situation where, again, our, our jobs as journalists you know, we have to report science in a correct way. And and so that that really forced the issue, I think, for everybody across the board where, where the president is giving these briefings and, you know, he starts talking about bleach, uh, you know, or, you know, injecting people with cleaners or then he'll start talking about conspiracy theories. And then ultimately, you know, I will say it's good that it happened earlier in the pandemic, because by the time that it came to the president talking about really heinous falsehoods about our, our election, which we're going through right now, I, I think we were a bit more poised to, uh, to to call that out and 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 report that in a way that's that's better. I don't honestly think we're still doing the best job of it, <laughs> but it's better than it was. And you know, to also give ourselves a break, we were figuring this out as, as it went along. Again, it broke all the rules for for us and and journalism, and um, we we kind of had to figure out how to reconstruct it on the fly. Yeah, no, really appreciate the insight into that thought process and and your candor, of course. Um, you know, on that. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, and and something that I wouldn't have even thought uh, would have to be a consideration. Like you said, you would never necessarily expect to have to think about ways to censor, even in some form, the president. Uh, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, but in response to the pandemic, you actually created a new segment for GBH, In It Together. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to host In It Together and, and how the program has come to be what it is now? And it's turned into, uh, I mean, just about the most remarkable thing I think I've, I've, I've done as a as a journalist. Yeah, that, that this was um, right pretty much about the week before lockdown. Our um, our general manager at the time, uh, Phil Phil Rito at uh, at, at WGBH. Uh, I, I believe the idea came from him and, and it was something we started talking about 
in the uh, in, in the hallway on a Thursday of the, the week before the shutdown. And our first show, I think, was on the following Tuesday. And that was from WGBH uh, at the time. Now we're calling ourselves GBH. And I think it was maybe a week after that that I was then doing the show from my basement here in, uh, in my home in Lexington. So we did it for maybe a week out of WGBH. And then that was when the full-on shutdown happened. And, and while that was going on, that was when I was... Um, <laughs> my my, my wife, who's the executive producer for uh, for Frontline, uh, is going for the same thing. So we're both scrambling how we're figuring out how to work at home. You know, she was going to Guitar Center and, and buying like a car full of acoustic tiles to st- <laughs> that, that I put up in, in our in our basement closet. And yeah, it, it was utterly, utterly bizarre. I mean, like everybody was, was, was going through this. And it started out as uh, we were an hour long show. And uh, Reva, it's interesting thinking back because we were uh, the original concept was it was going to be an hour long call-in show. It was going to be mostly listeners calling and we'd have experts in. And it, we did try that and it didn't start, it didn't for basically technical reasons. Uh, doing the show out of three places, it was really hard to also bring live callers into the mix. So it, it fell into being more of a straightforward interview show and and really a long form interview show that uh, is again a way it developed that wasn't quite uh, expected. So, whereas in all things considered, I'll, 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 the longest conversation I'll tend to have would be six or seven or eight minutes, and that's on, on, on the long side. For in it together, you know, I, I could talk to somebody for for twenty minutes and really get in depth, and that's also something that really defines the show because it gets very personal. We're talking to people, you know, we're talking to medical experts and and government people and and local leaders, but we're talking about really intimate things, life and death and disease, and you know, being with people when, when, when they die and it's, it's, um, it, it really has become something kind of, uh, something kind of in- incredible that that's just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's the most, you know, radio is, we, we always talk about radio being a super intimate medium and, and this show really takes that up a whole other level. I hear from people about the show, uh, in a way that I, I never heard about, even when I was doing national shows, um, that like I have my neighbors when I'm out walking the dog, uh, will talk to me about last night's show and, and the things they heard. Uh, people email me. It's not hard to figure out my, my email at, at, at WGBH. Um, and, and just talk to me like they know me and I write back like like, like that too. I mean, it, it's a really, it, it's been just incredible. That is incredible. And we, we obviously are big fans of the show uh, at our firm. And so, you know, you, you talk about what a powerful, intimate experience it's been um, hosting in it together. And, you know, Reva and I are curious if there are things that have stuck out to you that you hope will continue beyond the pandemic. There's so much, obviously, uh, horrible uh things that have occurred in 2020. But is there anything, any lessons learned that you think that, you know, will serve us well, um, you know, into 2021 and, and beyond? Yeah. You know, the first thing that I'm, I'm thinking as you asked me that question is I, I think that um, I, I think this show is just going to keep going after the, after the pandemic. Um, I, I, I think that we'd uh, we'd probably hear from a lot of people uh, that, that would that would want to keep it around. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's going to come a point and we're all excited looking towards it where there will be a vaccine and we'll be getting back to normal in, 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 in ways. And, and probably probably next summer I'll be back at, at WGBH, you know, in, in a halfway normal normal setup again. But I think this kind of radio community that, that we fostered um, is is something that that just speaking personally, I don't feel like I'm going to want to give it up. 
And I kind of think our, our, our listeners are going to want to keep it around as well. It, it, it's funny. The, um, the week that we shifted the show to being a half hour from an hour, uh, which, which made sense because, you know, those, those first couple of months, there was easily like an hour's worth of stuff to talk through every every single night. But there was almost a twinge of, of, of we shouldn't have done that because that was also the week that uh, after the Floyd killing and, and, and then the, and the protests that, that broke out, it was like, oh, man, half an hour is not enough. We might need to shift this back again. And so and we talked at the time about like, how much are we going to talk about that in the show? We, we did keep it mainly on the pandemic, but all of this stuff is, it's, you know. This is all the fabric of our lives, right? So, so we've talked about social justice in in, in it together. We we we've we've talked about politics in in it together because there's been this obviously there's been this political aspect to how the pandemic has unfolded. All these things that have been woven into our, our coverage of the pandemic and talking about it in that frame, I think we're so used to talking about it in this way. I, I think that uh, I kind of think we're going to stick around. I think people would really appreciate that, especially since we've we've come to learn this year more than any other year that we really are in it together. I mean, I think it's very aptly named and just kind of speaking to that idea of camaraderie and community and and really finding uh, those connection points in a difficult time. We're curious what some of the most memorable or inspiring stories that you've heard or conversations you've had locally in the last year, either in, in it together or even just, you know, in your own personal life, things that have just stuck out to you as being really inspiring inspiring and memorable in a difficult time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's been, I mean, a, a hell of a year for that, right? So I, I, I'll certainly there's, be leaving things out because so much sticks with me. I, I would just say in in general, you know, there, there's this phrase we keep coming back to from uh, from Mr. Rogers that uh, look for the helpers has been knocking around during the pandemic. And that's something that we've been doing a lot in the last year. And and the people that we've talked to from, you know, especially all the, the healthcare professionals, the people who are working in long-term care facilities, the people at community health centers, which I didn't even really know much about distinct from hospitals that which serve the people, so many of the communities that have been disproportionately hit by the pandemic. Think about um, uh, Gladys Vega at the Chelsea Collaborative, who I, I talked to before the pandemic. They do amazing work there with, with people in, in Chelsea, with a large uh, immigrant community. And uh, just to, to add what they're doing on on, uh, on top of what they're already doing, the, the burdens of the pandemic to help people who are dealing with their, their immigration status uh, and dealing with immigration courts, which are just completely crazier now than they, they've ever been, uh, and, and helping them find services services when, you know, if, if you're an undocumented immigrant, you can't get the federal government services and you're probably a little bit scared about seeking out other services as, as well. Um, so, so many helpers uh, that, that are, are, are just in- incredible and, and stuck with me. I should mention like a couple of particular stories. One was uh, the hugging booth, which was uh, at, at a uh, elder care facility. And uh, they had set up what they called a hugging booth, which was so that you could go and through a plastic barrier, uh, you would kind of like, I guess, like put gloves through like like the way the bubble boy thing was set up. But you could actually, you could go and hug your grandmother. And it was like a just a, a simple thing. The, the, the person who came up with this idea wasn't, you know, one of these Harvard Public School of Health people. It was just this guy who, who worked in an elder care facility who read about this being done at a place, I think, in, in Brazil or somewhere in South America and thought, well, this is, this is a thing. And now... All these other places were, were, were doing it, and it was incredible. The other thing that I, I would want to mention in particular would be the um, the obituaries that we did, uh, we, we, that we started to do. And 
What's kind of strange about that is, is that we didn't start doing those until fairly recently. And obviously a lot of people have died from, from COVID-19. And we did a, a week's worth of remembrances with, uh, with, with people. And all of those will, will stay with me. But, um, you know, a, a couple in particular, just because they, they were, you know, I, I lost my own father about a year and a half ago. And there were people who were talking about a couple of uh, a few amazing fathers and, you know, one who was a, a South Asian, you know, immigrant, uh, very much like, like my father. Right now, people can't grieve in a way we're used to grieving, you know, when uh, and I thought about this a lot during the pandemic about, you know, I just mentioned my, my own father passed away, which was not easy. But I thought about I have friends who have, who have lost parents during the pandemic and not being able to go see them until the actual moment of death, right? Or, or, or even not being able to see them at all uh, if, if they're in different parts of, of the country. And for more than one of the families that we spoke to, you know, they weren't able to have a memorial service where they gathered everybody together who knew these people who would be pillars of the community, right? The kind of people where you'd have a, a, a thing with hundreds of people sharing stories. And they probably will do that. They'll certainly will do that when this is over. And, and there's, there's going to be a lot of late remembrances, I think we'll see. But the show actually gave them a forum to be able to, to do that. And uh, it, it meant so much of them. And I, I had, um, you know, there, there, there have been plenty of stories I've covered over the years, which, which have, uh, you know, left me with moist eyes, but, but um, nothing that, that's ever been like that. And, and to be able to, I mean, just what, what, what an honor, right. To be able to facilitate that, that kind of remembering. That's uh, that, that's something I'll uh, certainly never forget that. It's pretty powerful. Your platform essentially provided like the community of mourners, right. That they would have access to and, and, normal times, but but didn't during the pandemic. Yeah. So I, I think, Arun, we want to shift to some slightly lighter fare or considerably, That's fine. <laughs> considerably lighter fare. Um, yeah. Just curious, you know, we're, we're talking about remote work. We're all doing it right now. You know, there are a lot of different takes on uh, how we're all going to function professionally after uh, the vaccine is rolled out. And I'm just curious about, will you continue to broadcast it all from uh, Studio Lexington? Do you think that you're <laughs> going to have uh, some more flexibility there? Um, you know, what do you, what do you see sort of in the Boston business community from folks that you speak with sort of across sectors, you know, in terms of their expectations and, and desires? Well, you know, that is a funny thing because I know for my, myself, and I, I'm sure this is true for a lot of people. I know it's true for a lot of people. I'm really used to this now. Um, and, and there are things about it which are really great. Uh, I mean, this is collaborative work, and, and it's it's awful not to actually be with my colleagues to have to have this all on Slack and Zoom. But, um, you know, I'm I'm in my home right now. You know, the fridge is right there. <laughs> you know, the, the, my, I've, I've got to see so much of my kids th th this past year. Um, you know, the, the, the dog likes it. Uh, so it, it's really convenient. So it's just going to be really weird. And, and I will. I will be going back to, to WGBH because, you know, if, if I can work from there, I, I absolutely should be because we have a newsroom and there's nothing like, you know, it'd be a whole other topic. We could talk about how weird it's been to have a newsroom where everybody's uh, not meeting, you know, in, in the morning. But uh, that I think we're all desperate people to people to get that back again. But um, yeah, I, I, there's going to be, I do think that there will be some times when also because I'm doing free shows now, uh, you know, we talked about In It Together, All Things Considered. We're also doing this podcast for NPR, uh, which is a daily podcast called Consider 
consider this. And uh, it's sort of nice. Uh, WGBH and, and WBUR, the two public radio stations, we've collaborated on our part of that. Uh, so I'm also doing that. So, um, you know, with all of that, I think I'll probably still be doing some stuff from home. But um, yeah, I mean, we're looking forward. To, I know we're all looking forward to the collaboration, but it's it's going to be it's going to be really weird at first. Right. Yes, I, ab- absolutely. <laughs> I think it, it's all about finding the right balance for, for each individual. Of course. And this last question that we have for you actually kind of ties ties into what you were just talking about being home more, spending more time with your kid. Um, but we're curious how you've been able to maintain close connections to family and friends this year, especially around the holidays. Cause you know, we've, we've cycled through almost all of them in, in a pandemic, uh, which yeah. has been difficult for a number of reasons and, and what's, what's been important. And I know that you've been talking to people about this on in it together, but it's been important to find ways to keep those connections and frequently be talking to people, even virtually, you know, staying in touch with, with family family in other parts of the country, et cetera. So how, how have you been able to do that this year? You know, I, I, I've been muddling through it, not any better than anybody else. Uh, it just sucks, right? I've not, I've not seen my, my mom in eight months. Uh, you know, my, my kids haven't seen their grandparents in, in, in that amount of time. Even, um, you know, we, we have, uh, relatives who, who live actually here in, in Boston, but, um, you know, it, it's, we can't really visit with them properly either. Cause you know, they're, they're, they're older and for all the reasons you, you don't want to put them, put anybody at, at risk. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to having families spread out, not just all over the country, but all, all over the world. And, and it's, it's sort of been the same, same with my, my wife's family. So there, there's a little bit of, I think that uh, those of us who are in that situation, which is a lot of us, especially in, in, in America, we're kind of used to maintaining those distance relationships. So, so having that as a baseline maybe helps. Um, I think digital natives are also have a leg up. I, my kids are, it's kind of funny how I, I went from um, being on my kids about not being on social media too much to uh, having it be like, can, can you help show me how it can be a lifeline <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to connect with people where you show me how TikTok works. Wow. This is really awesome. Uh, you know, it's, um, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really hard. And um, also just as a journalist, I'm used to going to places to, to report on it. it. It's been less so the last couple of years because I've been doing more of the Boston based reporting. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard. The reporting can't it's not quite as good from not actually going to a to a place. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wish I had some some great all the things that I'm doing are, are all things that other people have figured out by now. Right. So I'll, I'll have, you know, uh, Zoom drinks with old high school friends, uh, which is kind of cool because they're also all over the place. And I wasn't doing that before the pandemic. So <laughs> I have actually connected with some people in ways that, that I, I wasn't doing before. That's that's good. And to clarify, are you on TikTok? Uh, I'm not on TikTok. I see things on TikTok. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Well, Arun, uh, we could easily speak with you all day, but I know that, um, you know, you have been recording all week and we want to thank you very much sincerely for your time. It has been um, a real pleasure. Uh, getting the opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, Arun, thank, thank you. you so, so much for joining us. You know, it, it's nice to catch up with you and we really hope that we'll be able to do so again, even in person, hopefully, when it's safe to do so soon. Yeah, this this is a real pleasure, guys. Thank thank you so much. And on, and doing stuff like this is one of the things that uh, that, that helps. I've heard that from people that I interviewed and uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it too. It was just nice, uh, nice connecting. Real, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And to wrap things up, 
We like to end every episode with a PR pro tip. And today that tip is a note on grammar. We've all been talking about coronavirus for nearly a year now, but what's the correct way to write it out on first mention, second reference, and so on? The AP Style Guide put out a helpful topical guide on the subject. To start on first reference, the coronavirus, the new coronavirus, the new virus, or COVID-19 are all acceptable in stories about COVID-19. The key here is making a distinction between coronaviruses in general and the coronavirus we're all talking about right now. The new coronavirus, if you want to be even more direct. Saying, for example, she is concerned about coronavirus does not make it clear which coronavirus you're referring to. While these distinctions may seem trivial, accuracy in communication is key and details such as these really matter when you're sharing important information regarding healthcare or disease internally or externally. The devil is truly in the details. And to our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. We'll talk to you soon.